Hello and welcome to the show all about the Southeast. I'm John Rawl and we are here ready to serve you three hours of incredible Southern conversation on what we call the Y'all Show. We examine the news and gossip of the Southeast. We look at some sports news, although today is a rather light sports day. And we'll do our best to tell you what's going on in sports. But I I know what we do have planned up for you here on today's Y'all Show. We're going to be getting our wave on because we're going to be stopping by Tulane as Tulane and the Green Wave are today's stop on our 44-city odyssey across the college football landscape as we get ourselves ready for the start of the 2021 football season. And we're on this 44-city tour And we're telling you all about the teams, the coaches, the players. In fact, we're going to hear from a Green Wave player on today's Y'all program as Tulane looks to keep on getting better. Dorian Williams is a linebacker for Willie Fritz's team. We'll hear from him later this hour. And we'll let you know about Tulane's forthcoming schedule as this AAC team has really come out of nowhere the last few years and been a competitive ball club, gone to a couple of bowl games, and we've got our Roll wave atmosphere here going today on the Y'all Show. I'm going to tell you all about Tulane. And then in hour number three today, we'll keep Tulane front and center. I'll tell you about all the olive and green traditions. I'll let you know about some of the famous alumni that have attended this historic school in the city of New Orleans. We'll discuss maybe some of their traditions like Rollway, for example, how this team was a founding member of the Southeastern Conference and then decided to divorce the SEC back in the 1960s. And has that dramatically affected the school? I I would think so. But Tulane's on a bit of a comeback. And I'm, I'm actually rather proud of what Tulane has done in the last 15 years. I'll explain why here as we spotlight Tulane. It's our latest stop here in the Y'all Show 44-city tour across the southeast. So that's coming up today. Plus, we have a southern accent on arts and culture here in this first hour. Hour number two of today's Y'all Show, we have a great business report coming, some news that you'll need to know if you're a business person. We have that. Plus, pack your bags. We're going on a bit of a vacation, thanks to Ann Brawley. Ann Brawley is a retired news travel food writer for the Chattanooga Times Free Press. She's now writing for y'all.com. And Ann has ventured to the tri-cities of Tennessee and Georgia. Those tri-cities are Ducktown and Copper Hill in Tennessee and McKaysville in North Georgia. And Ann has gone there and she's documented it. She's got a story up at y'all.com. But she's going to be on in hour number two as a special guest, and she's going to discuss her trip to these three cities, Ducktown, Copper Hill, and McKaysville. You're going to get to learn a lot more about them right off of US 64 there, right at the corner of where Tennessee and North Carolina and Georgia all kind of come together is where you'll find these three towns. And Ann went there. She spent a good time there and had a good time spending a good time there. And she wrote about the great restaurant and food options of these three cities and just the other fun things you can do. It's a spotlight, again, of Ducktown and Copper Hill, Tennessee and McKaysville, Georgia. It's coming up in hour number two. So, yeah, if you don't have your summer planned out yet, no matter where you are, these three towns are about as centered up as you can get across the southeast. It doesn't matter if you're in Miami 
or if you're in Cape Girardeau, you can make your way to these three towns and enjoy the summertime in the south. Only these three towns, the way they could do it there. So check that out. That's coming up in hour two, plus a look at some of the top-selling books available for you. Hour number three of today's Y'all Show, we've got more sports news, including the latest on the NBA Finals. As it is back up and going today, we'll let you know the time and location of Game 4 of the NBA Finals. If you want to get in touch with us here, we are certainly, certainly happy to talk to you. And if you don't want to talk to us, if you just want to let your fingers do the walking, well, that'll be just fine, too. Our telephone number is 803-816-1170. That's a number you can text anytime you feel like it. If you're having a rough night and you can't sleep, and I just had somebody tell me that, uh, instead of Instead of trying to come up with a whole different routine, you just might be better off to let the stress go by just texting us here if it's 3 in the morning and maybe a thunderstorm just passed through town and, and you just can't sleep anymore. This will make you get back to sleep by texting us. And you just could tell us whatever you got on your mind. You can you can maybe suggest something. You can criticize us. We welcome that. 803-816-1170. Of course, if you miss any portion of this show, we do a good job of putting a podcast up every single day. And all you got to do is go on to y'all.com. You'll find the podcast option right there in front of you. And if you miss us there, we're in the iHeartRadio podcast app. We're in the TuneIn app. We're also on Stitcher. And you can find us at the bright purple app that is on every single iPhone or iPad. It's called Podcasts from Apple. And if you search in podcasts for y'all show, it's right there. As we Southerners would say, voila, it's right there waiting on your free download. And you can actually hit the button and this thing will automatically come to your smartphone and or iPad every single day. And it just does the hard work, the guessing for you of when we have a show posted. So there we do our part to bring you up to speed on what's going on across the Southeast. We are y'all talk with a Southern accent. All right, let's get into some of the headlines going on across the nation today. And I usually really have tried to not talk about this unless there's something newsworthy going on, because I think, frankly, most of us perhaps are tired of hearing about COVID-19. But I have to tell you, unfortunately, I have the duty to tell you that COVID-19 cases are rising again in the country. And in fact, they have doubled over three weeks. And one of our southern states is leading the country in the outbreak of COVID-19. After months of the decline, the coronavirus increasing with the new number of cases per day doubling over the past three weeks, driven by the fast-spreading Delta variant, also caused by lagging vaccination rates, and then people getting together for the 4th of July. That is what's coming out of Washington, D.C., the information Confirmed infections climbed to an average of about 23,000 a day earlier this week on Monday, and that was up from just 11,000 back on June 23rd. So just two weeks later, we've seen an increase of over 10,000 cases per day. That, according to data from Johns Hopkins University, in all but two states, Maine and South Dakota, reported that case numbers have gone up over the past two weeks. So only Maine and South Dakota have you seen decreases in the coronavirus? Now, as I said, one state, unfortunately, is leading the way. Tennessee 
now ranks number one in the country for the largest increase in new COVID-19 cases. As at least uh, for Tennessee, they have had a big outbreak. One county, Tipton County, is the number one county in the entire nation for new cases. Tipton County is Covington, just to the north of Memphis. Data from the state, county, and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention analyzed by the New York Times shows what doctors have been warning about, an explosion in cases in the Mid-South fueled by the fast-spreading Delta variant. In just the last two weeks, Tennessee has seen a 400% jump in new COVID-19 cases, and it makes it a top spot for coronavirus spread in the country right now. Mississippi is seventh with a 159% increase. I'm going to tell you some news out of Mississippi in just a second in terms of the coronavirus. Arkansas in the Mid-South, 14th in the country, as the natural state has a 124% spike in new cases. In Tipton County, Tennessee alone, a 3,800% change in new cases per 100,000 people in just the last two weeks. Where Nashville is, Davidson County, it is third in the country with 3,600% increase in new cases. Memphis, Shelby County, the COVID unit at Methodist Hospital has reopened as this Delta variant has torn through the Memphis and Mid-South community. One doctor there at the Memphis-Shelby County COVID Task Force, Jeff Warren, said, the people who've worked so hard, the doctors and nurses in these hospitals, have to go do this one more time. It is draining to have patients come in and die on you. There's nothing worse than having young people or people in the middle of their lives drop dead from something that could have been prevented. And you're there, and you've got to be the one to tell the family. Those are the words, again, from Memphis, Shelby County, Tennessee, COVID Task Force member, Dr. Jeff Warren. Our thoughts are certainly with everybody right now as this Delta variant is picking up. And again, in West Tennessee, the town of Tipton, or the county of Tipton in Covington, is really ground zero, unfortunately, with a 3,800% change in cases in just the last two weeks. The Vaccination rate for the volunteer by the state, by the way, 38%. Mississippi's at 33%. Arkansas is at 35%. And I know the vice president's husband has recently been in the Memphis area touting the vaccines. I think even the vice president perhaps was in Memphis a couple of weeks ago. And those vaccination rates being so low are part of the reason that counties like Tipton and Tennessee are having this enormous surge in the Delta variant affect their counties and states and just a terrible thing. Now to the information on the Magnolia State. Seven children in Mississippi ICUs for COVID-19 as this Delta variant has spread into the state of Mississippi. As we know now, according to information coming in from the state of Mississippi, a COVID-19 doctor there pointing out that there are seven children in ICU, two on life support with ventilators, and this comes after the Delta variant has become an increasing problem in the state of Mississippi. As a doctor, again, in the Jackson, Mississippi area, saying that pretty much all cases in Mississippi are Delta variant right now. The Delta variant is considered a greater threat to younger children, according to recent studies. A study from the United Kingdom showed that children and adults under 50 are now two and a half times more likely to become infected with the Delta variant. As older age groups get vaccinated, 
those who are younger and unvaccinated will be at a higher risk of getting COVID-19 with any variant. But Delta seems to be impacting younger age groups more than previous variants. That from Dr. Meltem Yildrum in a recent report put out by Yale Medicine. Now, in Mississippi, there have been 42,981 cases of COVID-19 and three deaths so far among children under the age of 18. But now, as we said, in the Magnolia State, currently you've got children in the hospital, in ICU, seven in ICU, two on life support with ventilators currently as this Delta variant continues to spread. All I can say, and I'm not here to preach, everybody's got to take care of themselves, but I don't think taking the vaccine is the worst thing in the world. I have done it. It wasn't that painful. I do think there are some side effects. I think I've had some side effects from it. Maybe I'm just a a paranoid. But I have felt a few things a little bit different. But I'd rather feel different than dead. And I don't think you're likely going to die. Again, my opinion. Everybody's got their own opinion. And I don't want to sit here for three hours every day and tell you how you either need to get a vaccine or you don't need to get a vaccine. You do you. But according to these doctors and experts, it's not going to be a bad thing and it will help lower these numbers of coronavirus if you go out and get vaccinated and or if you've had it, I guess you've got the antibodies in your system. But boy, I'm looking forward to the day where we don't have to be sitting here on eggshells wondering, is there going to be another outbreak? Is there going to be more deaths? This is just an unfortunate last what 18 months my goodness that we've had to go through with COVID-19 our thoughts with all those who are currently affected by it and we sure hope here in the south our states of Tennessee and Mississippi Arkansas and everywhere else where the Delta variant spread will subside soon 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 in Miami on Tuesday demonstrators blocked a highway to support the protest ongoing in Cuba as demonstrators were packed together in solidarity with the thousands of Cubans that we've seen on the TV reports in the last couple of days coming from Havana. A major South Florida expressway closed on Tuesday as supporters gathered for hours and this peaceful crowd waving Cuban and American flags and cheering on the efforts for the protesters in the nation of Cuba. South Florida naturally is home to the largest U.S. population of Cuban Americans and at the Palmetto Expressway outside of Miami. That's where these people block traffic in the afternoon. I don't think it would have been too very, uh, you'd have been very happy if you'd have been stuck in traffic because of these people's demonstrating. I'm glad they're doing it. I just think these people need to take it to Cuba. I was talking to someone about this on Tuesday evening myself. How powerful would it be? And I think there's been some stuff come out recently where there's talk of sending relief to Cuba, and including that relief would be guns. Now, I don't think we need to have another Bay of Pigs, but we do need to maybe inundate Cuba once and for all with maybe their own kinsmen, people who've gone to South Florida. And these people are, I guess, American citizens by, by and large now. And so why don't they just pack up cruise ships and more and just invade Cuba with food clothing, fun, and and just 
let the Cuban citizens know that they don't have to live under a communist dictatorship like they have since the early 1960s with Fidel Castro and then his brother Raul. And now they have another non-Castro in charge of this country. And the fear that this country has put forward to its community and its citizens for all these decades shouldn't be a factor anymore. We live in a different time than the 1960s. And I don't think communism, at least in Cuba, works. I think that's pretty obvious. And if these people, not in an armed conflict, but maybe in a social justice style way, they're not going to get it by depending on their internet and such to show them how to do it. I think they've shut down the internet from some of the reports I've seen there in Cuba. But if our good good Southern Americans there in maybe South Florida, Southern Americans with a Cuban background will find a creative way. I guess we'll just start with some of our more famous Cuban American, Southern Americans. That would be Ted Cruz, whose dad was from Cuba. You also have Marco Rubio, who is of Cuban descent. Why don't those two guys right now today get on an airplane and just go on down to Cuba and hang out and maybe stir up some things? What are they going to do, get arrested? Are they going to get shot? Probably not. But if they did, that's a heroic way to go, don't you think? I don't think anything's going to happen to them. But that's the kind of stuff, if they haven't done that, they should. And, hey, if you haven't done it, Senators Cruz and Rubio and any other famous person that's got Cuban ancestry, please get out there and and let's let's make Cuba great again. <laughs> make it where it was once an escape for a lot of people here in the South. I know of people back in the 1950s, they didn't go to places like Cancun back then. They didn't go to the Bahamas, and they sure didn't go to places uh, even in even in the South, frankly. Some of our places that have been the hot items, maybe like a Destin, Florida, those were not tourism options the way we know it today back 67 years ago. I don't know if they had any kind of tourism in those areas. If you had a little bit of money and you were around in the post-World War II days, you got on a plane and you found yourself in Havana and you gambled and you maybe hired a lady for the evening and or vice versa if you were a woman and you just had the greatest time and then just a couple hours later you were back in the good old US of A. That was the way it was that's the way it went down back in the day. And I'm not saying that we got to have Cuba back to 1959 standards, but there's no excuse for a country that far from our American coastline to be that bass backwards. And that looks like what Cuba has been. And now a lot of the people who are in that country are out protesting. And now in Florida, you're seeing a lot of Americans in support. And I think I, I saw the article on Tuesday when they shut down this highway in South Florida. Some of the protesters were yelling, Where's Biden? Where's Biden? Because they feel like President Biden has not stepped up and helped out in the last week over the unrest in Cuba. There could be a lot more coming from the White House, at least in some of the eyes of the protesters in South Florida. Speaking of President Biden, I'm not happy with what he said on Tuesday. As a guy myself who has been a huge fan of military history and consider myself a Civil War buff, On Tuesday, 
President Biden essentially saying this rights, the, the, the battle currently going on over voting changes, the changes in the way people vote being put forth by Republicans and Democrats alike, Biden blasting what the Republicans are putting forward around the country as un-American, even going so far as to say that right now we are undergoing an urgent national test of our time and compared the voting rights issue of 2021 to the Civil War of 1861, saying that we are now at a spot that our country has not been since that time period. That's really an insult to the country, frankly. And we have gone gone through a lot of grief since 1865 when Lee surrendered at Appomattox. And to compare this issue of voting rights to putting us right back at a time where the bayonets were going against each other and the cannon fire and the cavalry charges and more on hallowed ground, places like Shiloh, Chickamauga, also Pea Ridge, Gettysburg, Petersburg, Fredericksburg, Fort Sumter, Telephony Creek. <laughs> I know them all. Uh, really kind of an insult for him to come out and say that, that it's that big of a deal. And part of his reasoning that he spoke at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia brought on by what's been going on in Texas. And I'm going to give you an update about the Texas House Democrats that found their way to Washington, D.C. this week as it just, I saw interviews Tuesday night of some of those Democratic members. I think they like their newfound fame, frankly. But Biden, again, comparing this voting rights issue to the Civil War, for goodness sakes, that we're at a point that's just like 1865. I don't know about that. Again, Texas House Democrats going into Washington, D.C., they essentially took off from Austin to stop a vote there over voting changes. And now threats coming from Republicans in the Lone Star State that they're going to arrest these Democrats when they get back to the Lone Star State, that coming from Governor Greg Abbott. But outside the U.S. Capitol on Tuesday, these Democrats from Texas were up there singing songs, We Shall Overcome. They also talked about how things are just so awful back in Texas with the Republican-led government there, both the Texas House and Texas Senate and the Texas Executive Office, all held by Republicans. But the Democrats, of course, have a certain say And that's why they got on planes Monday evening, flew to Washington, D.C. to stop a vote that was supposed to happen over changes in the rules in Texas. And they're making a huge deal out of this. Now, I've got an article courtesy of NBC DFW. That's Dallas-Fort Worth for all of you non-Texans. And it's an article up about breaking down the Texas Republican election bill. What does it change about voting? That is the name of the article. And I don't want to bore you with all of the details, but basically, according to this article, it is legislation put forward that would restrict vote by mail. 
It would eliminate drive-through voting and 24-hour voting and empower poll watchers. House Bill 3, Senate Bill 1 were filed in the Texas legislature's special session that was called on for by Greg Abbott last week. And at the end of the regular session back in May, Democrats at that time walked out and broke quorum on the penultimate day. That's the next to the last day to block the passage of Senate Bill Number 7. And that had a whole lot of changes to voting laws. Now, that's what this article sets up. They say that there is a elimination of drive-through voting. Could you imagine voting by just going through a drive-through? Like, evidently, that must be something they've had in Texas. And then they would restrict vote by mail. Now, what this article so far hasn't said, maybe it's in here somewhere else. I, I saw somebody in Texas talking about this. It actually expands the days of the early voting, this new law, new rules there in Texas. So it expands it from that point. And when it talks about having poll watchers present, what it means there is that it guarantees essentially at every polling place you've got representatives from both parties there to look out over the other one. And that's not always been the case, especially in the 2020 presidential election not necessarily in Texas, but in places around the country. So showdowns going on in the Lone Star State and also in other states across the South and across the country at right at this current time. And so Texas is has usurped Georgia as far as voting laws and proposed voting laws. And right now, they're in Washington, D.C., at least the Texas House Democrats, trying to get this stuff all changed or keep it from being changed in some cases. Y'all talk with a Southern accent. We've got more headlines we're going to be getting to as we go on through today's headlines and more. In fact, later in the show, I'm going to tell you about a man in Middle Tennessee dying, and he dies because, according to his family, something called swatting led to this man dying. He died of a heart attack. But according to his family, it was a swatting call that helped this Sumner County man go to his grave early. And I'll tell you what exactly swatting is as we go through the headlines of today's Y'all Show. We also have the best places to live in the entire United States. A new survey put up by usnews.com. We'll let you know about that. And then in Georgia, a couple finding not one not two, not three, but 18 snakes in their bedroom. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through that one. Also, do you love your postal delivery? If you don't, and partly because you don't love the reason they're too slow, we have the breakdown of the service performance coming from the USPS Office of Inspector General. We'll let you know what areas of the country have the slowest mail delivery. All that plus, we'll let you know today, the most fit town in America, and it's in Virginia. All that's coming up on our news headlines from across the South on the talk show all about the South. Plus, we have good information about the Tulane Green Wave that we'll share with you later in the hour. But up next on the Y'all Show, we've got a quick report on all things sports. All-star game on Tuesday, plus the NBA Finals resuming this evening. That's ahead on Y'all. 
back into y'all talking about everything Southern with your host, John Rawl. And we have a little sports blast coming your way right now. And we're really going to go all over the world for this sports blast because we've got golf across the pond going on this week. We also have the All-Star Game that was held in Colorado on Tuesday that we'll share with you. But we'll start off with our sports blast here before we move over to some college sports news in the forthcoming segment. But the NBA Finals resuming here on this Wednesday as the Phoenix Suns and Milwaukee, they get together for Game 4. This will be tipping off at 9 Eastern, 8 o'clock Milwaukee time as Fiserv Forum is where you'll find this Bucks suns game right now. Phoenix has the 2-1 series lead. You can tune in ABC as this game tips off this evening and a chance for the Greek freak and company to even this thing up at two games apiece. But if Phoenix somehow, CP3 and company, find a way to win this one, woo, it's going to be tough for the Bucks, especially in the Valley, to come out on top of this NBA Finals. By the way, after this Game 4 on Wednesday, these two teams don't get back together until Saturday night, and they'll be getting together there in Phoenix for Game number. What's it going to be, five? Long? I think it's a two-week series if this thing plays out in its entirety. But the NBA Finals picking back up here. Eight straight years. That is now the reign the American League has over the National League as the AL All-Stars got the victory in Denver on Tuesday. And, again, the All-Star game moved from Atlanta to the Mile High City. And don't want to belabor or talk about the All-Star game any more than I have to. But, uh, yeah, eight straight times the American League has won. Ever since they changed the rules of the All-Star game to where essentially the winner of the All-Star game is who gets the advantage in the hosting of the World Series, the American League has just dominated. And it seems to make a difference. I think if you go stack up who wins the World Series over the last 10 years, I'm pretty sure... I know we've got a Dodgers World Series title right now, but I think American League teams have had the best of the National League, and I think they may take it serious. You know, for a long time they called the American League the Junior League. I don't know if you can say that these days. Speaking of Major League Baseball slash football, how about the Pittsburgh Pirates during this week's MLB draft? They chose two college football studs that now have to make the decision, do they want to go get paid immediately or do they want to go maybe play a little college football? As the Bucks selecting outfielder Lonnie White Jr. and pitcher Chandler Bubba in the MLB draft of 2021, Lonnie White Jr. taken in the round B, taken number 64 overall. He's out of Malvern, Pennsylvania. So he would be playing if he ends up playing baseball for his home state Pittsburgh Pirates. And White ranked as the number 275 football prospect. And he's actually signed to be a Penn State Nittany Line football player. So he's got a big decision here this week. Lonnie White Jr., is he going to go immediately play as an outfielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates organization? Or is he going to be a Nittany Line? That's a tough one. Now, he also had choices that he's already had to make when he was Deciding where he wanted to play his college football, he had offers from the Tennessee Volunteers. Virginia Tech also came in, but he ultimately committed and has now signed with Penn State. Now, the other player, Chandler Bubba, 
was a four-star quarterback who has signed with Clemson after receiving a scholarship offer after a visit to that school. Now, he had been committed to play at Georgia baseball there for the Dogs, but ended up being swayed to be a Clemson Tiger by Coach Dabo Swindley. And he has picked Clemson not to play baseball for, but to play college football for. So now he's got a decision to make Chandler Bubba, a four-star quarterback who ended up going on to be a Clemson signee. And now he has to decide that big choice. According to MLB.com, White's projected pick value is at $1.05 million, while Chandler Bubba's pick value is right at $900,000. I think I know it in case of Clemson football, (laughs) especially with this new NIL legislation. Hey, Chandler, I think you're going to make more money right there in Pickens County, South Carolina, than you will in Pittsburgh, PA, or wherever they send you for a few years as you go through the minor leagues of of sports. This week, it is the 2021 Open Championship at Royal St. George's, and CBSSports.com have come out with an article According to their article, the 2021 British Open predictions and picks ranking the top of the field from 1 to 21 at Royal St. George's. Remember, these golfers all tee off at this final major of the year in about, uh, well, depending on when you are listening to this, in some cases less than a few hours away, as I think the earliest tee time is around 1.30 Eastern and 12.30 Central in the morning. This is early morning on Thursdays when you can see the Open Championship teeing off. According to this CBSSports.com article, their number one pick for winning the Open Championship is Spaniard John Rahm, who most recently won the U.S. Open. He's picked it be number one. Number two, they've got Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka. They have chosen as number three, the third most likely winner of the Open Championship. They also have at four, Xander Shoffley, the Californian. How about South African Louis Ustazen? He's done a great job. He's just come up a little short in both the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open. Patrick Reed, the Augusta native, he's the sixth choice as far as the likely winners. Irmo, South Carolina's Dustin Johnson, the seventh pick. Roy McIlroy, the Northern Ireland guy. North, Northern, North, North, Northern Ireland, yeah. Not North Ireland. Uh, Roy. He's at number eight, Mr. St. Bernard. Justin Thomas, Kentucky's own Alabama Crimson Tide golfer. He's the ninth pick. And then Patrick Cantlay, the former Stanford golfer. He is in the top ten choices, again, according to the CBSSports.com article of their picks of winning the 2021 Open Championship at Royal St. George's. And a friendly reminder, Jason Nall is going to be dropping by our Friday y'all show and weighing in on the action from that first round and getting the stage set for the weekend and who might just be cut and getting on a plane right back here to the good old USA because they just couldn't couldn't cut it there at the Open Championship but it's going to be really exciting love when the Open Championship is held each year golf a little bit different over there in the United Kingdom especially with the way the courses are set up it's going to be fun Now, that's real sports we'll be talking about here on the Y'all Show. We'll also be talking about real sports when we come back. The Tulane Green Wave are our latest stop on our 44-city tour of great college football teams and traditions. And we'll get the Green Wave talk going after this break.
The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. All righty, everybody, get ready. We're going to go to the Big Easy for today's college football tour stop. It's all about the Tulane Green Wave. Roll Wave. Oh, it's all about the olive and the blue here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. I'm John Rawl, and we are talking about the South and its great college football teams and traditions. We're on a 44-city odyssey. We're going across the Southeast from Texas to Virginia, down into Florida and Kentucky, Missouri, and more. It's all about the various programs and traditions and great alumni of our Southern Colleges as we get you ready for the start of the 2021 football season. And today, we're right there. I think it's the Garden District of New Orleans is actually where you'll find Tulane University. And it's all Tulane talk here for the next few minutes. And more about Tulane in Hour 3. We'll discuss more of the traditions of this American Athletic Conference member. Tulane University. Go wave, or should I say roll wave. Tulane got going. It was founded as a public medical college back in 1834. In fact, Tulane's actual name is the Tulane University of Louisiana. So if there's a University of Louisiana, it would technically be Tulane. It actually was called officially University of Louisiana for nearly 50 years in its history. Before that, it was the Medical College of Louisiana. Very prestigious school. And we'll tell you more about the university and more in famous alum and traditions in hour three. But today, it's all about the current football team that Willie Fritz has made up. Before I can talk about today's football team, though, I do have to take a moment and salute the Green Wave. This is a program, this is a school that has put up with more junk than just about any college that you could imagine. And and there's been a lot of cases where they've had to put up with junk But I'm just today going to talk about something that happened to them less than 20 years ago. It was Hurricane Katrina. And when that hurricane pounded Mississippi's Gulf Coast and it hit New Orleans and it flooded New Orleans, it shut down the school. It shut down their home stadium at that time, the Louisiana Superdome. And in the 2005 football season, the Green Wave did not have a home stadium. They were literally gypsies for the entire season as they played games on the road. I remember they played a game against Mississippi State to start the season, and that was in Shreveport. They played in Lafayette. They played in Ruston. 
They played in Mobile. <laughs> I mean, they were everywhere. They played in Monroe. I guess they really spread the wealth in just about every option. But the bottom line, they did not play in New Orleans that entire 2005 season. They went 2-9. and nine. There was talk that Tulane might completely shut down its athletic programs. There might have even been talk that Tulane would cease to be as a university, frankly. This was back when they played at the Louisiana Superdome. Hardly anybody went to their games. It was tough going there for Tulane. This is an athletic program back in the 1980s that fell under the NCAA's eye in basketball. They got convicted of point chafing, and they got kicked out of basketball just like SMU got kicked out of college football in the 1980s when they were members of the Metro Conference. Tulane University has seen its share of heartache and heartburn. But in terms of football, here's the, here's the comeback, y'all. In terms of football, this school in New Orleans decided some 10 years ago, you know what, we're going to not only play football, we're going to try to do our best, put our best foot forward. We're going to roll with this wave. And so they decided on the site of the historic Tulane Stadium, the original home of the New Orleans Saints, the original home of the Sugar Bowl, where many Super Bowls have been played, they decided right there on their campus to build Yulman Stadium. And Yulman Stadium, with a capacity of 30,000, opened up back in the 2014 season. I think their home game, their home opener was a tough loss to Georgia Tech, from what I remember. But 2014, they opened up this $75 million stadium right on the campus of Tulane. That was a big move. It's a beautiful stadium, only 30,000, but it's a great little spot for college football in New Orleans. So Yulman Stadium starts the turnaround. Ultimately, Tulane starts having some success. They really had success with the hiring of Willie Fritz as head coach as he came over to Tulane with the start of the 2016 season. He had been at Georgia Southern prior to coming to New Orleans. And Willie Fritz, in his time at New, in New Orleans at Tulane, he's gone from a 4-8 and eight season to a 5-7 and seven season. Then he had two back-to-back 7-6 and six seasons. And in 2020, his Green Wave team went 6-6. Six and six. They went to a bowl game. In fact, Tulane has gone to three consecutive bowl games. They won back-to-back bowl games, the Cure Bowl and the Armed Forces Bowl. Last year, they did lose in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. But a 6-6 six and six year, Tulane football has not had a losing season since 2017. Not bad, Willie Fritz. Not bad, Tulane Green Wave. Let me tell you what the Green Wave have scheduled for the 2021 season. They got some pretty cool games on their schedule. And it starts with their opener. How about this? Tulane's season opener at Yulman Stadium, by the way, 30,000-seat Yulman Stadium, is against the Oklahoma Sooners on Labor Day weekend, a game going to be televised on ABC right at high noon Eastern, 11 o'clock, Big Easy time. OU and T (laughs) – was it TU is what they go by? Tulane as a university? UT, TU? (laughs) Uh, We'll just say TU. Uh, It doesn't matter. Green Wave and Sooners to start the season. Then they'll be taking on Morgan State out of the MEAC on September 11th. Then they'll be in Oxford. They're going to take on the Mississippi Land Sharks on Saturday, September 18th. 
They'll be there just outside the Grove. Then it's back in New Orleans for a game against the UAB Blazers. Then their American Conference opener is on the road against Mike Houston's East Carolina Pirates. They'll be home against the Houston Cougars on October 7th. SMU is where they'll be traveling to October 21st. Cincinnati, the defending American Conference champ, they come in for a game at Yulman Stadium on, a, on Halloween weekend. October 30th is that game. The Green Wave will be packing their bags to Orlando to take on the US, UCF Knights. They'll be against this team, I know is TU, Tulsa, take, taking them on at Yulman Stadium on November 13th. Then they wrap up their season with games against USF at home, and then they'll be in the Liberty Bowl to take on the Memphis Tigers on November 27th. That is the 2021 schedule for the Tulane Green Wave. Again, what an impressive non-conference season opener at home against the Oklahoma Sooners and Spencer Rattler. What a shock that would be if Willie Fritz's team could pull off that upset. And they might just be able to do it with some of the great players they have. In fact, Tulane just announced that they have a couple of members of their team on the CFN preseason All-AAC team. Congratulations to these three players, Corey Dublin, Ryan Wright, and Corey Dublin, by the way, is a offensive guard. Ryan Wright is a punter for the Tulane Green Wave. Somehow you think that punters and kickers usually do good at schools like Tulane. And then that last name mentioned is linebacker Dorian Williams. And we're going to hear from Williams now as he spoke while his team was undergoing spring drills. This extremely talented linebacker is a native of Fort Mill, South Carolina. He starred at Indian Land High School. That's right there on the north end of York County near the Charlotte, North Carolina city limits, to be exact, right between Rock Hill and Charlotte is where you'll find Indian Land and Indian Land High School where Dorian Williams played. And he's entering this year as a sophomore because he started 2019. That was his first year. 2020 didn't really count. So he's technically kind of a hybrid sophomore junior. But again, Dorian Williams, this extremely gifted, number two is his jersey number, linebacker for the Green Wave. Speaking about his team, about his defensive side of the ball and more, let's go hear this two-lane football player now talking about the forthcoming season. Uh, we have a next man up mentality. So even though we had lost to Patrick Johnson and Cam, and those are phenomenal players, as di- different players, you know what I mean? So we got guys like Darius, Angelo coming up. So those guys, are gonna, they're going to be good for us. Those guys, they're going to keep working this summer. We're going to all push each other. We're all going to become a better football team this summer. We just preach to each other. We just want to be the best unit in the country. So uh, us as a linebacker crew, we push one another. And I feel like we can be the best linebacker growing in, in the nation. We added in a couple more coverages, and everybody's just becoming more sound with man coverage, zone coverage, just breaking faster, cheating coverages. It's, I feel like we're going to be pretty good on third down. Uh, it's all about getting to the ball, and everybody want to hop in on a tackle, you know. So um, the, the more times you get to practice live, the, more, the better tackling to get as time goes on. Uh, I feel like I can improve on coverage, just – turning PBUs into interceptions and uh, improve on my tackling as well. Not missing any tackles this year. The sand lapper turned Greenway football player Dorian Williams there talking on the Y'all Show about his 
Tulane Green Wave defensive unit. Tulane, again, starting the 2021 season against the Oklahoma Sooners on September 4th. And then they start conference play shortly thereafter. Tulane looking for a conference championship. This is a program that has won nine conference titles in their history. But it's been a while. It was Tommy Bowden back in 1998 when Tulane was members of the Conference USA League. They won a conference champion. That was a miracle season back in 98 where Tulane went 12-0 and still didn't win a national championship. I, I, I consider them national champions. I don't think they hardly played anybody that time. But how about this fact? Tulane has more SEC championships than Mississippi State, than Kentucky, and I think even Mississippi, and more than South Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri, and more. Tulane, which were members of the SEC for very uh, a very large amount of years, Tulane claims championships in the Southeastern Conference in 1990, uh, 1934, where they went 10-1 overall, 8-0 in the conference. They were 5-0 in the conference in 1939. And then in 1949, Henry Frinka's Tulane Greenway football team won an SEC championship with a 5-1 conference mark, 7-2-1 overall. They also won four conference championships when they were members of the Southern Conference back in the 1920s and early 30s. Tulane has been a very good football team, but it's been about 100 years. <laughs> so it's time for Tulane to get things going. Tulane's three SEC titles are more than the seven. Count them up. Tulane's three SEC football titles are more than seven current members of the SEC. Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Missouri, South Carolina, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. SEC Goliaths were the Tulane Greenweb. And then they got caught up in the whole 1960s where teams thought they could go make more money if they were independents. And so after being members of the SEC from 1933 to 1965, starting in 66, they went independent. They got in the CUSA League in 1996, stayed there until 2014 when they became members of the American Athletic Conference. So they've been kind of uh, nomads, if you will, in their conference affiliation. But Tulane has had long and proud rivalries through the years with LSU. In fact, LSU's colors come from an old game against Tulane where they chose the purple and gold in a game against Tulane back in the day. And I like to see these two teams from the state of Louisiana get together and play, quite honestly. Tulane also has a long history of playing the Ole Miss Rebels, now Mississippi Land Sharks. And that rivalry is picking back up this year after many years of not playing as they'll be getting together in Oxford for a game. The olive green and sky blue of Tulane University football. You have a lot to be proud of if you're a Tulane fan. And this could be another incredible year for Willie Fritz's program as it looks to get back to another bowl game and keep the winds a-coming for Roll Wave fans. And that, again, today's spotlight as we're on this 44-city tour of the great teams of the South and the traditions of Tulane and famous alums of the Green Wave will be featured in hour number three, so you don't want to miss out on the discussion of Tulane in Uptown New Orleans. The Y'all Show will take a break. We'll come right back. 
and when we do that, we'll have a southern accent on the South's culture. That's ahead on Talk with a Southern Accent. Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. In Menifee County, Kentucky, you can take a tour of a flooded, abandoned mine thanks to SUP Kentucky, an adventure company that offers tours throughout the state via stand-up paddleboards and kayaks. Now, the Red River Gorge Underground Cavern Glow Tours take kayakers through an abandoned limestone mine illuminated by the glow of multicolored underwater LED lights. The kayaks used in the tour offer a one-of-a-kind experience because they're clear, so one only needs to look down to see all the natural wonders occurring beneath them, such as the rainbow trout that often follow the tour. Single or double kayaks are available, and the tour is limited to six people at a time. Some other cool sites at the SUP Kentucky Underground Cavern Glow Tour include an underground waterfall and possibly some bats fluttering by. The tour lasts an hour, and SUP Kentucky will document it for you with photos. The tour costs $75 a person and $25 for children. Southern fun and more at y'all.com. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good little option. Again, if you are looking for fun, that place in Kentucky sounds like a whole lot of fun. I mean, you know what else sounds like a whole lot of fun? How about Ducktown and Copper Hill in Tennessee and McKaysville in Georgia? Well, you are in luck, my friends, because Ann Brawley just went to those three towns. And in the second hour of today's Y'all Show, she's going to be dropping by and tell us all about her trip there to East Tennessee and North Georgia. That's ahead. Plus, hour two, we have a business report and a book report, all forthcoming on the show that's all about the South. John Rawl, thanking you for being a part of the fun. Hey, why don't you say we get back here in about two minutes and get it all going? (laughs) Stay tuned. Back in for more conversation about the southeast of the United States. We're talking Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West by golly, Virginia. I'm John Rawls, certified Southern American, that would be CSA, and we're glad that you have decided to take a little time from your busy day to give us a spin as we go around the southeast with a combination of talk about news, entertainment, sports, travel. Oh, speaking of travel, coming up in just a few minutes, we got a special guest dropping in. It's Ann Brawley. She was a longtime writer for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, and she has packed up and taken her show on the road. She has gone to Ducktown and Copper Hill in East Tennessee. She has gone to McKaysville in North Georgia, and she's going to be on in just a few minutes to talk about her great article that we have posted at y'all.com. Go read that right now. Y'all, by the way, is the South's homepage, and Anne invites you to go read that article, but she also has asked me in a very Southern way to ask you to please stick around because she's going to be on with me in just a few minutes, and you're going to get to hear her incredible Southern voice. I'm envious, as you'll find out, when we get the chance to talk to writer, food and travel writer, Ann Brawley. That's coming up in this hour. We also have business news that we'll be getting to here on the Y'all Show as we 
not only, again, talk about the fun stuff going on around the country, we do like to tell you what's up in terms of business, including the fact that Amtrak, Joe Biden is trying to make Amtrak great again. And they got a bunch of trains that evidently are budgeted. 83 new trains. I'll tell you about that. And if you live in some of these non-Amtrak areas of the South, are you going to start seeing a choo-choo train come near you? You just might. Also, we'll let you know about Jeff Bezos as his Blue Origin, that's his rocket company, has gotten the permission to send him into the great out there. And now he's going to be trying to find his way, kind of like Richard Branson just did with his Virgin spacecraft. Got to give that guy credit. Got to give Jeff Bezos credit. First of all, he's willing to blow his money on a rocket, but also he's willing to perhaps blow himself up to try to prove a point with his rocket company, Blue Origin. We'll give you the latest on this Texan billionaire, big-time billionaire. Also, Tennessee information coming in from the Tennessee Department of Economic and Community Development that the state of Tennessee, its economy is poised for a greater growth in the past five years. So if you are a volunteer state resident, good news there. Plus, do you know where the magnetic capital of the world is? It is right here in the South. And this magnetic capital, if you're drawn to it, get it? Ha ha. If you're drawn to it, you also just might be in a capital, not of just magnets, but of a certain southern state. (laughs) We'll let you know about all that in our business news coming up, plus the latest in books. We've got some big-time books available for you to check out. We'll gander at the New York Times bestsellers. And if you go there, you will discover that a Tennessee native has the number one fiction book in the country, brand new this week. I won't tell you the author. I'll tell you the name of his book. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's numero uno on the New York Times bestsellers list. All that is part of our book report coming up here this hour. Let's start off the y'all show here this hour with a quick look at some more headlines as we scan the internet and newspapers and the gossip pages of the South to try to give you all that's going on across the southeast here as we get you ready for news headlines and we'll pick up the news headlines and that includes something coming out of middle tennessee swatting have you ever heard of this swatting has led to the death of a man from sumner county tennessee as his family says he was targeted for his twitter handle his twitter handle was at tennessee And evidently, according to this term called swatting, it led to the death of 60-year-old Mark Herring. Now, I could sit here and tell you the story. Frankly, a Nashville news station, WKRN, has done a better job than I'll ever do because they went and visited with this Bethpage, Tennessee man's family, a grandfather. And he was targeted for having that Twitter handle of at Tennessee. So if you don't mind, we'll take you to Nashville for WKRN's recent report, again, on this Beth Page, Tennessee man's death. He was not murdered, but he did die of a heart attack. But according to his own family, this man in Middle Tennessee 
died as a result of something called swatting. Let me pick it up here from WKRN in Nashville. It's the country. The term refers to a hoax 911 call with the goal of diverting emergency resources to an unsuspecting person's home. On News 2 at 4, we told you about a victim who found himself in the middle of a swatting call after he refused to give up his Twitter handle. He was part of a nationwide crime spree targeting people with rare usernames worth thousands of dollars. News 2's Alex Dennis explains how minors are suspected of orchestrating the entire scheme that ended with a local man dead, with a story you'll see only here on News 2. His neighbor called and said, there's police everywhere, and they, they think a man has killed a woman and he's on your property. You know, you need to take cover. It was shocking news for 60-year-old Mark Herring, who lived here off of a sleepy country road in Bethpage. He went out the house with a gun because he heard someone was on his property and he sees all these cops around him and they ask if he is Mark Herring, put your hands up. So he tosses the gun away from him to show he's not a threat, hands up. A full response from authorities faced the innocent grandfather who died minutes later. I believe that he was scared to death and that is what caused his heart attack. His family rushed to Sumner Regional Medical Center where they learned more about Herring's final moments. They just kept talking about this 911 call that was placed. It had been a, uh, like a prank phone call or a swatting phone call. Months later, they learned about Shane Sonderman, a minor back in April 2020 when the crime was committed. He was from Tennessee. He's the one that collected all of our information. My address, my sisters, my mom's, my other sister, like he put it on a channel on Discord, which is a gaming chat form. The private information released for use in an intimidation tactic meant to convince Herring to hand over his one of a kind Twitter handle at Tennessee. Herring refused. Another minor was in on the scheme. A kid in the United Kingdom made the call to the my dad's local police department. He will not be extradited from the United Kingdom because he is still currently a minor. Right. Sonderman is currently behind bars awaiting trial. A federal grand jury indictment claims he had six victims across the country. Herring was the only one who died. They're not playing the game and they're not thinking it's funny. This is legit extortion. How much money are they selling these handles for? It's like $3,000, $4,000, like pennies compared to a life. The family shares Herring's story now for several reasons. Watch your kids on the internet because they know more than you think they know. And that those guilty of swatting face tougher penalties. You've not just changed that one person's life, you've done a ripple effect and they need to pay for that. Alex Dennis, News 2. All right, that is a article and story up at WKRN in Nashville. And again, the term is swatting. And this 60-year-old man from Bethpage in Sumner County, Tennessee, ended up having a heart attack and dying because he was scared literally for his life because of these teenage pranksters and shysters, if you will, trying to get him to get rid of his at Tennessee handle. The term, again, is swatting. And thank you, WKRN, for putting the story out and letting me and maybe you as well know about something only found in the 21st century, people killing and or not directly killing, but leading to the death of people because of their Twitter handle name. Hmm. Crazy world, y'all. Now, some positive news. South Carolina is celebrating 
because the Palmetto State has the lowest U.S. rate of prisoners going back to jail. The term is recidivism. And now the state of South Carolina has that lowest rate in part because the expanding programs of job and life skills available. That, according to the state prison director, as he announced this on Monday, Brian Sterling is South Carolina's Department of Corrections director. And again, the state with the lowest recidivism rate in the country at under 22%. And this was big news in Columbia, where they have, just like every southern state, plenty of people behind bars. And some of these people are nonviolent, and they've served their time, and they deserve the right to get back out in society. And the good people of South Carolina don't want to have to have them back behind bars. And hopefully programs are helping to get these people out in society and being productive and get them out from behind bars. And it looks like a good job there by Governor Henry McMaster. He was on hand with the announcement of South Carolina being the lowest state in the country for recidivism. About 71% of inmates who use the employment agency services get a job when they're released, according to the Department of Employment and Workforce Director in South Carolina, Dan Elsey. So hopefully numbers are like that across the southeast. But yes, South Carolina's prisons have about 15,300 inmates. That's down from 24,000 prisoners that were in the Palmetto State's penal system some 15 years ago. But some positive prison news here on today's Y'all Show. And you won't feel like a prisoner. If you're living in one of these places in the country, usnews.com has just put out the 150 best places to live in the country for 2021 and 2022. Several southern states make the list. I'll focus in on, let's say, the top 10. Eh, Let's expand it to 20. Does that sound good to you? There are some southern states, uh, some places in the south on here, there are a lot of Yankee places on here. Number 20 best place to live, according to U.S. News, is Charlotte, North Carolina. Number 18, Melbourne, Florida. Best place in the country to live. Some more Yankee places in between. We'll go now to number number 9, Sarasota. Checks in as the number 9 best place in the country to live, according to U.S. News. Number Number seven is Naples. They are high on Florida with this ranking. Number five, Austin, Texas. With the slogan, Keep Austin Weird, this Texas city is laid back to the point that you're dressing up. If you're dressing up, you must be out of place. That according to their article. Fayetteville, Arkansas, the number four best place to live in the country, according to usnews.com. Very good rating there for the home of the hogs. And then you've got two out of the top three cities in the South, in this ranking. I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. According to U.S. News, their number one best place in the country to live is something's wrong here, Boulder, Colorado. They must have a very, very Mary Jane-friendly staff that's coming up with these numbers because Boulder's number one, according to them. Number three on the list was Huntsville, Alabama. Woo-hoo, the Rocket City. I'm a former Huntsville resident. I can say that it's a nice place to live. It's a good place to raise a family there in Madison County, Alabama. So way to go, Huntsville. You're number three. Number two is the capital of 
North Carolina, Raleigh and Durham both make it as the number two best place in the country to live. And Raleigh-Durham is the highest place in the South, according to usnews.com, as they looked at the 150 most populous metro areas to find the best places to live. To make the top of the list, a place had to have a good value, be a desirable place to live, have a strong job market, and a high quality of life. Again, the best places to live from U.S. News. Take up your frustration with them if you're out here today complaining about their list. By the way, if you, I don't know if I can be able to pull this up or not, as it's a rather lengthy page of information, but uh, I was going to try to pick up, tell you at least some of the worst places in the country. That's going to take a while to pull that one up. Uh, let's just focus on the positive, if you will. Congratulations, Raleigh Durham. You're tops in the South for a, a good place to live. The Y'all Show will take a break. We'll come right back here on the show that's all about the South and give you a, a few business items to pass along. This is Talk With a Southern Accent. Tell you what there, Mr. Blues Singer, you don't have to get too down on your luck because according to Amtrak CEO William Flynn, Amtrak foresees riders heading back, and that's why Amtrak plans to spend $7.3 billion on 83 new trains to replace some of the trains currently, or they call them equipment, that is 50 years old, and if they do all this, it will speed up travel and make it a whole lot more comfortable for you to travel around to places like the Mississippi Delta and catch up with some of that great blues singers if you're passing through on the city of New Orleans. And it also, according to Amtrak, is going to help clean up the environment. And now, Amtrak has their number one fan in the White House right now, Joe Biden, and I guess that's part of the reason Amtrak, the nation's passenger railroad, is trying to get a lot more money as they plan on spending all this money, $7.3 billion to buy trains made by Siemens. They're going to buy 83 of these Siemens trains, and that will help expand Amtrak. Now, right now in the South, I'll be, I'll put on my uh, uh, traveling shoes and let you know that there's a large portion of the South that Amtrak ain't nowhere to be found. For example, look at a state as big and as wide as Tennessee. Do you realize there is only one Amtrak route in the entire state of Tennessee? And it's only in the very far western edge of the state. It's from Memphis up to, I guess it would be Union City. goes through Newburn, Tennessee. I don't think there's a stop in Union City. But it essentially is the city of New Orleans route that connects New Orleans to Chicago. And so there's an Amtrak line 
that far west in Tennessee, but there's no east to west route. Alabama is the Crescent Crescent Express or something like that. It's the route from New Orleans to essentially New York City. But as far as I know, Alabama's only Amtrak route is that line. Now, some of the eastern seaboard states have plenty of Amtrak lines. A state like North Carolina's got several going into Raleigh and going down to Charlotte. There's lines in the South Carolina area, too. Virginia's got several merging in there. But it seems there's hardly any really good east-to-west routes of Amtrak. And how cool would it be to maybe catch a train in Memphis and go all the way to Gatlinburg? How cool would that be? Well, you can't do that right now. How cool would it be to be in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and decide you want to go to Tupelo? Well, you, you can't do that. So there's a lot of areas. Uh, there's there's not a, let's say in Georgia, they've got Amtrak passing through Gainesville, Georgia, but you can't go from Gainesville down to Savannah. I don't think you can. No, you can't go from Atlanta to Savannah, come to think of it. There's... Joe Biden, Mr. Amtrak, needs to pick up a map of Amtrak's routes and figure out maybe before we go spending $7 billion, we might want to service a lot of these great southern cities who are Amtrak. Uh, they're in an Amtrak desert, if you will. Jeff Bezos, let's keep our eye on transportation. The Amazon dude, the former CEO now of Amazon, his blue origin has just gotten the green light. That will send him and three others to space, the rocket company getting federal approval, and that includes the permission for him to go out out, out yonder, if you will. The Amazon finder will climb atop his new Shepard rocket next Tuesday, and he's going to do this from West Texas. He'll be joined by his brother, an 82-year-old female aviation pioneer, and a $28 million winner of an auction to be able to get on board this rocket ship. And it will hopefully have as much success as Bezos' fellow billionaire Richard Branson just had when his Virgin Galactic flew into space just the other day. The FAA giving its okay for this ship to go to space from West Texas. We wish Jeff Bezos all the best with Blue Origin. Tennessee, if you're a Tennessean, You've got some good news about your economy as Tennessee's economy is, quote, poised for greater growth than past years. That number and that information coming to us courtesy of the Tennessee Department of Economic and Community Development. And that's brought in a bunch of projects in the volunteer state in the last couple of years. In Nashville alone, Davidson County, this agency has brought in 19,000 jobs and $2.1 billion in capital investment. So times are doing quite well, according to Commissioner Bob Rolfe, who announced some of these great changes and great development for Tennessee. As we're all, as the Southern show around the South, we're all optimistic about picking back from the ashes of COVID-19, and it looks like Tennessee is doing just that. We're drawn to Tennessee and its business news and good business news. We're also drawn to the magnetic capital of the world. Do you know where that is? Well, it's the home of the National High Magnetic Field Laboratory, the only facility of its kind in the entire country. That 
National High Magnetic Field Laboratory is located in Leon County, Florida, Tallahassee. As the state capital of the Sunshine State is attracting world-class companies that hope to capitalize on high-caliber magnetics research and resources, and that is a good business story coming in from the Sunshine State, the magnetic capital of the world, Tallahassee. Congratulations, Seminole fans. I know you're extremely... That's some of the best news coming out of Tallahassee for Seminole fans in quite some time. The magnetic capital. Who knew? That'll wrap up some business talk. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we have some tourism talk, courtesy of Ann Brawley. Ann recently traveled to Ducktown and Copper Hill in Tennessee and McKaysville, right beside those two cities, which is located in North Georgia. And she'll be on right after this break to tell us all about it. Stay tuned. in to talk with a southern accent and here on the south's show john raw we have not only the y'all show we have the website y'all it is the south's homepage, and we have fantastic stuff being posted there non-stop and a big part of some of the great content being added on there today is courtesy of ann brawley ann has gotten her passport stamped across the southeast in recent months and she recently got it stamped right there on the border of Georgia and Tennessee. And she's on to tell us about her visit to the towns of Ducktown and Copper Hill in Tennessee and McKaysville, which is in North Georgia, but almost in Tennessee. And Ann is on right now to tell us about her experience to these lovely towns in the eastern portion of Tennessee and the northern portion of Georgia. She's on with us now to talk about her experience and, of course, the fun and food that she found in the Tri-Cities. Welcome into the Y'all Show. Thank you, John. Are you there now? Because that looks like a great location where you're located today. Well, I'm in I'm in Daisy, Tennessee, where I live. <laughs> Well, and I love living. I love living in that pool right behind well, me. Well, look, if you feel the need, feel free to break away if you have to. <laughs> Jump <And> in. <laughs> yeah, feel, we've not actually. We've never had somebody do that in the middle of an interview. So if you if you feel the need, <laughs> well, I might just kick off my shoes and you know stick my toes in or something. But, oh, that sounds good. And yeah. thank you again. You are a uh, former writer for the Chattanooga Times Free Press. Tell me a little bit more about your writing career before we dive into what you're doing at y'all dot com. Okay, I started uh, as a feature writer for the Chattanooga Times Free Press back in about 1990. And then after a few years, I became the food editor at the paper. And um, I did that until about 2010 or 11, and then decided to pursue a freelance career. And so I've done that for the past 10 years, and it's been very active. And I write about food and travel, and I write for about... In, in addition to writing for you, for y'all.com, I write for about um, six or seven other publications on a regular basis, including um, the Chattanooga Times Free Press, where I still write a food column every week and several stories, food stories a month for them. 
So anyway, like I said, it's it's a very active freelance career, and I'm really enjoying it. And you better be glad I'm not a jealous lover because you just here on worldwide TV declare that you're writing for other sources besides y'all.com. Yep, yep. I write for Word South Publishing. I write for Cloud9 Magazine. I write for Middle Tennessee Source. I write for the Chattanooga Paper. I've written for Orlando Magazine, Mississippi Magazine, the Delta Magazine. <laughs> Chattanooga Magazine, just lots of different publications. Well, again, you're you're also writing for y'all.com, the South's homepage, and you've got this great article up right now that we're going to dive into. And so I'm a little jealous that you get to write about all this stuff and you get to travel and eat at all these locations. Oh, yeah. And I've got to go to the doctor for my regular physical, my yearly physical next week, and she's going to be horrified when she sees my weight and sees that I've gained like three pounds on that last trip down to McKaysville and Copper Hill, I was blown away at all the food they have down there. Hmm. I mean, it is unbelievably good. Very surprised. And And, uh, I'm going to give you a compliment. I know you're a good writer, but until we had you on here today, I don't like being stumped. And you got me stumped a little bit. You got one heck of a good Southern accent. Well, thank you. <laughs> where, where is that from? That's from Chattanooga. Really? Yeah. It, yeah. It's got a little touch of antebellum, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, that's from my grandmother. She's from Virginia. And oh. probably probably I picked that up from her somewhere along the way. And then when you live in um when you live in Daisy, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have some kind of Southern accent or they'll think you're Well, it's a good Southern accent. I mean, I'm jealous, frankly. (laughs) So I need to come study the accents of Daisy, Tennessee, it sounds like. You can do that. Come up and go swimming with me in my swimming pool. All right, I'll do it. Only if you write about a thousand more articles. Hey, let's talk about the Georgia-Tennessee story we got up at y'all.com. You go to Copper Hill. You go to Ducktown Mm -hmm. and McKaysville in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Had you been there before, what led you to these lovely little towns? Well, back years ago, I don't know if you know anything about Copper Hill, but it was a huge part of the copper industry back in the, I guess, early 1900s. And they just, they stripped the land. And I used to, with my mama and daddy and my big sister, we'd drive up, we spent our summers in North Carolina at our house up there. And so we'd have to drive through Copper Hill to get there. And Copper Hill is one of, like from outer space back in the 1960s, the astronauts could look down and they could see the Great Wall of China. They could see Mount Everest and they could see Copper Hill. It was just this this red desert from acid rain. And, oh, it's horrible. It was, they had just stripped the land. And um, Are you being a little bit facetious on that? No, no, I'm not. You're being serious. I'm being dead serious. So anyhow, about somewhere back in the early 90s, the area got this huge grant from the federal government to to reclaim their land. And so they planted trees. uh, They planted all kinds of greeneries. And now you drive through there, and it is absolutely beautiful. It's all green. It's not a desert anymore. And as a result, um, a lot of people 
visit the area to enjoy the mountains because it's right there in the Blue Ridge. Mm-hmm. They enjoy the mountains. They enjoy the Okoy River that's nearby. And so as a result, they brought in all these new restaurants. And, and it's it really surprised me the the different flavors that you can find from Ducktown to Copper Hill to McKaysville. And all of those places are just in a few minutes apart. When I was planning this story, I thought, okay, I need to have time to get from one restaurant to the next. When actually, when I got there, all I had to do was park my car and I could just walk to all of them, except for the one in Ducktown. That's a few miles away, but it's certainly worth the time it takes to get there, which is all of 10 minutes. Yeah, and we're showing right now the Rum Cake Lady Cuban Cafe. Tell me about Mm -hmm. that experience. That woman, Elizabeth Correa, is from Havana. And I don't know how she found her way to Blue Ridge, Georgia, which is right nearby. But um, she began making her rum cakes and selling them at the local farmer's market. And they became so popular that she started a bakery there in Blue Ridge, which is just a couple of miles from McKaysville and Copper Mm -hmm. Hill. And um, so then she eventually brought in her uh, Cuban sandwiches and empanadas and all this other Cuban food and opened a restaurant in Blue Ridge and then recently opened this um, new cafe in McKaysville. And it's right on the corner, on a busy corner, and you just you cannot miss it. And yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. You, you, I don't think yeah. you can miss it. Yeah, it's hard to miss with its red and white decor. And um, inside, you can eat outside if you if you're still into you know social distancing and um, eating out al fresco. And uh, then there's the small dining room inside too. And it really, it just had remarkable food. I was, those little, um, her little cakes are, the rum cakes are excellent. But so is her Cuban sandwich. This is in which town? That's in McKaysville. But you really can't tell the difference between McKaysville and Copper Hill. I mean, you step right in from one to the other, go back and forth. I'm looking at her sign here and it's got a 423 area code. Well, maybe she's in Copper Hill. Yeah, I mean, she's she might be in Copper Hill. I thought she was in McKaysville, but I well, guess according, she's, in- she's going to use whatever phone number gets the most business, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> she's right here on the line, so I get confused who's where. But that's yeah, I right. get, yeah, I well, guess that, her address is Copper Hill. That's one of many places you stop by. You also speaking of great sandwiches, as we're talking today with Ann Brawley, who has penned the article, Georgia, Tennessee Eats, a visit to Ducktown and Copper Hill in Tennessee and McKaysville, which mm-hmm. is in North Georgia. And you also, again, went on a sandwich. It looks like a sandwich voyage while you were in the area. And it looks like another place that you stopped by had a delicious sandwich option. And we're going to show that here in just a handful of seconds. Bear with me here as we're getting our Man, you gave me so much good stuff, and I don't know how I'm going to be able to talk about it all. <laughs> well, let's go on to cats. Well, that's what I'm trying to pull up here. I got a picture of uh, what looks like a sandwich. You tell me about the sandwich, and I'll pull it up here momentarily. Okay. Well, Cat's Deli is owned by, um, oh, what's their name? Fran and Steve Katz. And um, 
they came down to this to that area to the McKaysville area from Brooklyn and in doing so brought a lot of their favorite foods with them and opened up this wonderful deli there in McKaysville and this one is in McKaysville there, there it is. is yeah and they're open for breakfast and lunch um, they also have a coffee shop in there and their Reuben sandwich is the house favorite. And they do it a little differently. Rather than making it with sauerkraut, they add a little southern touch to it. And they um, make a pickled red cabbage to serve with the corned beef. And then the, the rye bread is made by a local bakery. And so it's just, it's, it's absolutely excellent. And you, you can see... It's really, really big. So you either have to come with a big appetite and a loose belt, or um, you need to bring someone, a partner there to share it with you because it's a it's a good size sandwich. And once again, you can eat outside or you can eat inside. Hmm. Um, it's in an old house, and so the um, the restaurant inside is broken up. You know they haven't knocked down any walls, so you still have you can kind of figure out where the living room, the bedrooms, the dining room, the kitchen and all that were in the original house. So it's, it's really a nice, a nice change of pace from the other eateries in town. And um, one thing, a, a fair warning, when you go to McKaysville or Copper Hill, there is a train that comes up from uh, Blue Ridge. It's the uh, Blue Ridge Scenic Railway. And it lands in town on, I believe, Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And it looks like it's about ready to rain here. So I might need to Uh-oh. go and cover. But um, let me see All right, if I- you do that, we're going to pull up another photo while you're okay. uh, shifting cameras here. And okay. it looks like, I don't know if you can see that sandwich there. Is that also coming from Katz's? No, that one is the Cuban uh, sandwich from um, from the Cuban Cafe. Oh, okay, Rum Cake Lady Cuban Cafe. Yeah, from, yeah, from the Rum Cake Lady. Yeah, and um, I don't know if that's light enough for you, but. Yeah, well, like I said, I really needed to get undercover. I understand. We understand. Okay, so that looks like a tasty sandwich. Then not only do you have great sandwiches in the area, tell me about what we're looking at now. Okay, all right. So that is the um, cheesecake burrito from Habaneros. Um, it's a Mexican restaurant, and there are three Mexican restaurants right across the street from each other in uh, <laughs> Copper Hill. And this one, Habaneros, serves some really different Mexican dishes that you don't ordinarily see on menus mm-hmm. in Mexican restaurants. They also have um, their loco fries that are kind of like nachos, but with French fries. And they've got, um, let's see, it's fries with uh, cheese and pico and bacon. And, oh, what else do they have on those? Um, sour cream. And those are really good. But that cheesecake burrito is, is pretty phenomenal. 
if you have room left over after you eat, you know, your big Mexican dinner. So, so that's what, that's what that's about. We're talking with Ann Brawley, and she has been a writer at y'all.com, and she's not going to be able to do that anymore because we're going to have to let her go because I'm too envious of some of these assignments and the great food that she's able to enjoy while writing for y'all.com, the South's homepage. Are you okay with that, Ann? Yeah, I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. <laughs> no, you shouldn't be. I would be the, like, the heck, the heck you're going to let somebody else jump in there, and, and it would probably be me. But, yeah, what you're talking about is these three cities. And you mentioned how you used to go through here on the way to North Carolina. This is right in the kind of middle of U.S. 64. That's the old road that connected Chattanooga going east toward the North Carolina. lovely area. I guess Murphy, North Carolina is in that same area. Yeah, if you're going to Murphy, North Carolina to gamble, then you're going right through uh, Copper Hill and Ducktown and it's it's in McKaysville, all, all right in there together. And if you're hungry, then you just need to stop and um, and go get something to eat up in Ducktown. Have you got that picture of the um, of that shrimp, crispy shrimp bowl? I don't, but I'll try my best to bring it on here. You just keep talking, and I'll do the okay. shrimping. Okay. Yeah, Ducktown Duck Town is this real small little town that has – it's about one block big. I mean, that's it. And they have one restaurant, and it's Rod's Rockin' Rolls. And he's known for his um, spring rolls. But he also has these amazing sushi bowls, and one of them is his crispy shrimp bowl, and it's huge. I mean, it's filled with rice on the bottom – and then he's got cucumbers and avocado and, I mean, all these just amazing flavors that go together. And um, then he tops it with some crispy shrimp, fried shrimp. And then he puts um, Asian, some kind of Asian sauce over the whole thing. And it's huge. It's, a, it's once again, you need to either come with a loose belt and a big appetite or bring a partner with you because it's a huge bowl of deliciousness and um so it's it's very unexpected in this tiny little town he's also got um uh italian food so it's an interesting blend of of asian and italian it's a it's a fusion food that i've never heard of before but he does it and he does it well and um so that's that's the only place in in ducktown that there is to eat and it's a long, um, it's just, it's just a hundred yards off of Highway 64 on your way to Murphy. Like I said, to gamble at mm-hmm. Harris. But then you can also take a right and go down Highway 68 to, uh, McKaysville and to Copper Hill. And the, and it's starting to rain. So I'm glad that I got undercover. Well, um, we're, we're in touch with the man upstairs. So don't worry about all that. <laughs> so there's, um, you, there is no welcome to Georgia sign like I wrote about in that story. So you don't know when you're going from um, from Copper Hill into McKaysville. You really don't know one city from the next. And when I asked where the state line was, they told me that it ran through the um, hometown IGA parking lot. Ah. That's what you're told. <laughs> so well, I like my IGAs. 
Yeah, yeah. We don't have any IGAs here, but, you know, you can go to Copper Hill and find one. Okay, um, I've got you, – you did a great job with your article of putting up some photos. This is not the world's best collection that I've got, but it'll do, I think. Tell me, that's the sandwich we looked at earlier. That's the outside of authentic Cuban food. Then there's yeah. – there's the uh, habanera fresh Tex-Mex dish there that you talked about. Now, this might be the shrimp thing you were talking about. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it right there. That's the um, that's the crispy shrimp sushi bowl. And you can see that it's got um, it's got that avocado on it and mm-hmm. seaweed. I, I, I'm not a big fan of seaweed, but um, it's just it's got so many different flavors going on there. And then in the background, is the uh, are the spring rolls and he serves that with a with like a, a duck sauce type sauce and they're very good and this is taken outside of the restaurant there's a lovely little um, patio area that's to to the right of this picture and um, it's very it's shaded by a really big oak tree so it's really nice on a cool day to eat out there. And this is the only restaurant in Tiny Little Duck Town, but it's well worth visiting Tiny Little Duck Town to eat at this place because it's it's got tremendous flavors. Mm. And right. um, another picture of Katz's. And yeah. tell me about oh, this big pizza. That is the biggest pizza I've ever seen. It's um, the guy's name is Kenny Fund. It's P A P F U N D. It's a German name. Um, you don't pronounce the P, just the F-U-N-D. So Kenny Fun, and he owns this pizzeria where they make all sorts of Italian foods. And um, then this, all in all sizes of pizza, <laughs> but this 30-inch pizza, he has to have the boxes specially made. <laughs> and um, they're so big, they're hard to fit through a door, and they're also hard to put in your car, but you can do it. Hmm. So you think, anyway, you think they'll fit in a double wide? I'm trying to fit into this screen. Uh, do you think those, that pizza will fit in a double wide? It would probably fit in a double wide. Yeah. Okay. Good. And Kenny's pizza my, also has that. What is that? Those are the garlic rolls, and he serves those with his um, homemade marinara sauce. Everything he makes at this restaurant is made from scratch. And um, he doesn't use any pre-shredded cheese, pre-cut meats, anything. He just he does everything himself. And it's such a tiny little restaurant that he hasn't reopened inside dining. He had to close it due to COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, so he only offers um, takeout. I but see. right across the street from the restaurant is a little uh, covered area where you can eat, um, take your takeout food, and you can eat there. Or if you're staying in a motel in Blue Ridge, there's a brand-new Hampton Inn there, by the way, that's um, owned by Chattanooga Company, and they've just opened in the past couple of months. You can take your pizza back there. Or if you're renting a, a VRBO, a Verbo, or a Airbnb, you can um, – take it back to eat there. So, you know, you really do have a world of flavors in these in these towns. You, I think you'll be as surprised as I was. 
Yes, the Tri-Cities, again, in East Tennessee, also in North Georgia with McKaysville. In fact, I knew someone once who was from McKaysville, and they explained in order to get to their house in McKaysville, even from south of there and the rest of Georgia, they had to go in and out a bunch of times in Tennessee. The road must do a little winding thing there. But a lovely, lovely area for sure. And Ann Brawley was kind enough to go there and report to us about what's going on in this copper basin, if you will, of the states of Tennessee and Georgia and delicious options. As you mentioned, some accommodations are available for you as well. How far, how long did it take you to get to this area from Chattanooga, for example? From Chattanooga? Probably about, so maybe an hour, between an hour and an hour and a half. It's a beautiful drive. You go up from Chattanooga, you go up 75. And then you get off at one of the Cleveland exits, and um, then you just you work your way past the Okoy River, which is that, beautiful, you know, absolutely the, beautiful. Which is beautiful, beautiful. And then you go through what is now beautiful Copper Hill, and you just go down Highway 68, and you're right there. I mean, off of off of Highway 64, it'll take you about ten minutes. But you better so be paying attention. Just, I just came through there back in November. And frankly, I was I must have been so busy driving that I didn't even know where I was. Had I known that the Tri-Cities were that accommodating and had so much good food options, I would have stopped there instead of going on to boring Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like mean, Cleveland, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Cleveland's a nice place. It's oh, a nice it's a great place. town. That whole area, yeah. of course, is, is great. But no, these are three cities worth the wait if you can just get there and if you've gone, if you're coming from the west, if you've gone and you hit the North Carolina line, you've gone too far. Turn around and come back on 64, but great places. And, Ann, you're not done with y'all. Give me a little little tease of what you have coming up at the South's homepage. All right. Well, one thing I haven't told you about yet is I'm going back to that area, to Ooh. Blue Ridge, Georgia, to um, write a story about the restaurants there because – I thought the restaurant. I thought maybe I could tie in a restaurant or two in Blue Ridge because I was staying at that Hampton Inn, and so I went down to um, to Blue Ridge, and when I saw the restaurants there, I said I've got to come back and do a story on these restaurants because it would do a disservice just to mention one. So um, I'm going back to do a restaurant, a story about restaurants in Blue Ridge because there are about fifteen. Hmm down there that I need to visit. And then um, then I'm going to Paris for about a month. The and one when I get in Tennessee? Back, no, Paris, France. Okay. And then um, then when I get back, I'm going to um, down to the Treasure Coast of Florida Ooh. to write a story about dive bars. <laughs> <laughs> Ann, I'm telling you, I'm envious. I've got Ann Envy. Ah, that's sweet of you. But, um, yeah, so I've never been to a dive bar before. Hmm. So well, I'm going looking to forward visit. To reading that. Is that, yeah, is that an article we can get at y'all.com? Yeah, I'll write about that for you. Woo, I'm, right. Yeah, I'm going to visit uh, about five of the top biker bars down there, and I'm going to be going during Biketober. Hmm. So it should be an interesting time, and there should be a lot of bikers down there. So I'm looking forward to going. Well, Ann, we're looking forward to reading on Stay Safe, not down in the biker bar, but when you go to Paris. I'm worried about you over there more than I am the biker bar. (laughs) (laughs) 
because we need you. We need you, Ann. Thank you very much for coming on today's Y'all Show and telling us about your travels across the Southeast. Again, these three great towns of of Georgia and Tennessee, Copper Hill, Kaysville, and, and Ducktown as well. Just sounds like a great time you had. And again, so good. I guess you're going back. Thank you again, and uh, mm-hmm. best of luck to you in your travels. Thank you so much, John. Thank you very much. Y'all, y'all take care. The Y'all Show will continue after this break. All right, y'all, that wraps up Hour 2. Before we get out of here and start Hour 3, quick look at the New York Times bestsellers. Knoxville's own Quentin Tarantino is atop the New York Times fiction list with his new book, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Laura Dave's The Last Thing He Told Me checks in at 2. Malibu Rising, the new book from Taylor Jenkins Reid, comes in at 3. Bill Clinton, you remember Bill Clinton, the president? He's also a pretty good writer. He and James Patterson have the president's daughter out. And Delia Owens, the North Carolinian, continues to have a bestseller. She's at number five in the latest New York Times bestsellers list. Also in the fic- nonfiction category for NYT right now, new this week, is Yasmin Abalabs and Darmian Paletta's brand new book, Nightmare Scenario. That's number one on the nonfiction category. Also in the top five is a brand new book from Roger Bennett, Reborn in the USA. Those are some of your hot new books out right now. We've got a hot new hour of the Y'all Show coming up after the break. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about the Tulane Green Wave and their great tradition. All that and a whole lot more. Hang on. back on talk with a southern accent got another hour coming your way we will continue talking about the green wave of tulane university we'll discuss some of the traditions of roll wave and what's all going on on the new orleans campus as tulane is our latest stop we're on a 44 city tour across the southeast as we get you ready for the start of the 2021 college football season also we have more headlines from across the region including I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this story. A couple in Georgia finding 18, that's 1-8, 18 snakes in their bedroom, underneath their bed. I'll relay a story of my own about snakes under the bed. But I'm going to have to be careful when I'm in the CSRA as Augusta. It's now home for more than the Masters. It's home for 18 snakes in one single bedroom. Woo, keep me away from there. Well, we got some news coming out of Tupelo. Elvis Presley Lake has been closed. The king would not be happy with his lake being closed. We'll let you know the justification behind that. Plus, in our news headlines of today, we have, according to U.S. Postal Service data, the places where you have the slowest mail delivery and These are in the South. What's going on with our Postal Service? Oh, my goodness. 
And I bet you you're sitting here thinking today, wait a minute, there's no way somebody outranked me for the slowest mail delivery. We have data coming in from the USPS Office of Inspector General. And I know it's pretty bad. We love our mail people. I know mail people, listen to me getting all politically correct, our mailmen, <laughs> we love them. They do a good job. But man, there's some places out there that just have the worst delivery. And I know people, uh, my own mother, who have recently gone and opened up a P.O. box because she got so frustrated of her mail. Not just coming late, not coming at all for like two and three days. And then she would get a, a bunch of it all wrapped around in a, in an, in a rubber band at one point. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy what's going on in our postal area today. And we'll let you know about that as part of our headlines of today's Y'all Show. That's coming up here, hour number three of the Y'all Show. Plus, we also will let you know about sports goings on across the Southeast. If you want to get involved, a couple of easy ways to do that. We've got an email address, and I'm sitting here checking it, and nobody's sending me any y'all love. We need some y'all love. It's mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. So easy for you to drop us a suggestion if you've got a good recipe. If you want to complain about something, hey, we'll we'll take those too. And you don't even have to go through the postal service for that. See, we're kind of going around them. M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. We have a number you can text or call 24-7. It's 803-816-1170. We are the show that is about the South. Let's dive into some of the sports goings on and the NBA Finals pickup on this Wednesday as game number four set to take place between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. Right now, the Suns enjoying a 2-1 series lead, and they can maybe walk back into Phoenix in a couple of days when they get back together this weekend with a 3-1 series win if they can win. Now, Mr. Greek Freak himself, Giannis, is going to do his best to get Milwaukee tied up in this series. It tips off on ABC starting at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, Suns and Bucks, Game 4 of the NBA Finals. Major League Baseball had its all-star game on Tuesday in Denver. Should have been in Atlanta. The American League for the eighth consecutive year won the all-star game. If you're a national leaguer, you have to be scratching your head. You have to be throwing your cap down on the ground and maybe even getting a little upset about how that league, the AL, could end up having eight consecutive years of wins in the all-star game. Isn't there a little pride on the line for the National Leaguers? This week we have the Open Championship taking place at Royal St. George's. That's in England. And CBSSports.com has come out with some of their projected winners of this week's Open Championship. They project John Rahm to back up his U.S. Open win. He's the highest projectee of winner in the Open Championship as the Spaniard, fresh off his first major, could have back-to-back majors in about a month's time. He did really well this past week in the Scottish Open before ended up losing that, but he's on a little bit of a roll. The new daddy hoping to put his hands on a claret jug, John Rom, Jordan Spieth, the Texas golfer, he's also way up here on the list of possible Open Championship winners, according to CBS Sports. Brooks Kepka who has not put his hand on a claret jug yet, but he's won 
other majors, he is expected to do quite well as they whack that ball there amongst the crazy grass and rough that you find in UK golf. Let's see here. Somebody, Justin Ray Golf on social media has put out something. A stat worth updating before every major until further notice. The best combined score to par at majors since 2016. The best combined score to par at majors in the last five years. Brooks Kepka minus 84. Dustin Johnson, minus 21. Xander Shoffley, the California kid, at minus 21. The Open Championship tees off in a matter of hours. It'll be teeing off around 1.30 Eastern, 12.30 in the morning of Thursday. Just just hours away. The final major golf event of 2021 if you want to make plans and tune in and, and check out the great fun of the Open Championship 2021. Remember, in 2020, there was no Open Championship. We'll have to find out who the winner of this latest is going to be. And there's some players out there who desperately are looking to get their first Open Championship because they don't have that one in the trophy case. Some developing news out of the NFL. Free agent cornerback Richard Sherman was booked at 6.08 local time in Seattle at the King County Correctional Facility for burglary domestic violence. He was denied bail. So some breaking, developing news on this NFL star, free agent cornerback. I didn't realize he was a free agent, not with a team at the specific time. We're telling you this. Richard Sherman arrested on a domestic violence charge in Seattle. More to come on this developing story. When we return on the Y'all Show, we will take you to the Big Easy as the Tulane Greenways are our latest stop on our 44-city tour of colleges across the Southeast. We'll let you know about the traditions and great alumni of the Tulane Green Wave Roll Wave. We'll be right back. The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. And today it's the Tulane Green Wave, we're stopping by the Uptown New Orleans campus to tell you all about Green Wave football and tell you all about Green Wave alumni and Green Wave tradition. Roll Wave.
All right, Tulane, you begin your 2021 football season at home. What a huge game. On September 4th, the Green Wave welcome into Yulman Stadium, the Oklahoma Sooners. Woo, that's going to be a monster game for Tulane. That's going to be on ABC, by the way. Everybody gets to see this Green Wave team in action on that opening weekend. The Green Wave playing in Oxford against Mississippi on September 18th. They've got their home opener in AAC action against the East Carolina Pirates. That's going to be in Greenville against ECU. Their home opener for the conference is going to be against the Houston Cougars on October 7th. Willie Fritz has done a great job. In fact, he was mentioned to be moving on away from the Uptown New Orleans campus to be a college football coach elsewhere. He stuck around. And he is going to do a great job again, I predict, in 2021 as Willie Fritz enters his fourth season coaching the Green Wave. And in his time in New Orleans, he's helped lead this team to a couple of bowl games as they went to the famous Idaho Potato Bowl last year. They lost a really tough one to the Wolf Pack of Nevada. But they've won a couple of bowl games in recent years as Coach Fritz and the Green Wave won the Cure Bowl in 2018. In 2019, they beat Southern Miss in the Armed Forces Bowl. So they've been a little bit of a been a little bit of a comeback for Tulane University on the gridiron. And remember, they've been playing in Yulman Stadium for about seven years now, and that is the campus stadium. It's right there where the old Tulane Stadium was on the Tulane campus the home of a couple of Super Bowls, the home of a couple of Sugar Bowls, and now that same property is part of Yulman Stadium, the 30,000-seat stadium on the Tulane University campus. More about Tulane. It is a private research university located in the Big Easy. It started back in 1834, and it started as the Medical College of Louisiana. Then it got turned into the University of Louisiana, And now, technically, according to the official seal of the college, it is officially the Tulane University of Louisiana. Tulane has approximately 14,000 students. They've got almost 9,000 undergraduates and about 6,000 postgraduate students there on the New Orleans campus. And it is one of the South's best colleges. Paul Tulane was the philanthropist of which this school was named. It it changed from, again, those early names to Tulane in honor of Paul Tulane, who was a guy born in New Jersey, but ended up ultimately, I guess, giving a lot of money to where they changed the name of the school back in the 19th century. As far as famous alumni of Tulane, and they've got a bunch of famous alumni who've attended this college and gone on to greatness. One was a guy named Newt Newt Gingrich. I'll get it right one of these days. As Newt got a master's and a Ph.D. from Tulane University, the former speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, Gingrich is a Tulane alum. They also have lots of people who've gone on to be in films and acting and more Christian LeBlanc. You might know him from his time on The Young and the Restless. He's a Tulane alum. They also have... Other names you might recognize. How about this name? Tulane University alumnus. He got a Bachelor's of Arts there back in 1965. Tulane, I'm not sure you're proud of this one. Jerry Springer, born Gerald Norman Springer. Jerry Springer is a Tulane alumnus. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Way to go, Tulane. They've had a lot of people who've gone there and worked in the writing world, novelists, 
bestsellers and more. As far as musicians go, they've had other people. Hey, they've had Breitbart. I didn't realize that Andrew Breitbart, the writer and author who was a conservative just giant until his unexpected death many years ago, Breitbart, a Tulane University alumnus. Pulitzer Prize winner Hotting Carter went to Tulane. You also have Lawrence Wright, Pulitzer Prize winner journalist. Then you have, in the world of business, a bunch of Tulane University alums have gone there. How about, let's see, there's so many i got to choose for. The great-grandson of Henry Ford, Albert Ford, is a Tulane University alumnus. How about mm, Forbes World's Richest pers- People list, Richardo Salinas Pligo got an MBA at Tulane back in the 70s. You've had a lot of Congress folks go through Tulane. Former U.S. House of Representative member and senator from Colorado, William Armstrong, is a Tulane University alum. Governors, lots of Louisiana governors have come through Tulane, including Luther Hall, Alvin King, Huey Long, a Tulane University alumnus. Did you realize that? I'm telling you all kind of fun things. How about the former U.S. Majority Leader of the Senate from Tennessee, of all places, Howard Baker, a Tulane University alumnus. They've had lots of mayors and city officials come through. Tulane, judges, more. I'm trying to get to some maybe the sports stars who are Tulane University alums. They've had, believe it or not, a lot of football players who've gone on to do great things in the world of football, including J.P. Lozman. Remember that name if you're a NFL fan? How about Sean King? I think he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a while. They've also had a lot of great baseball players. Tulane as a college baseball program won a national championship about 20 years ago. Tulane University, New Orleans, Louisiana. They are our featured school today. And if you go to a Tulane game, there's some traditions y'all need to know about if you're going to don your olive and blue for a Tulane football game. First off, the nickname, the Green Wave. The editor of the newspaper on campus, the Tulane Hullabaloo, he wrote a football song which was printed in the Hullabaloo newspaper. The song was titled The Rolling Green Wave. Although the name was not immediately adopted, it did become to get a lot of acceptance. And back when the Green Wave and, or whatever they were called in 1920, they played Mississippi A&M, the Hullabaloo referred to the team as the Green Wave, and by the end of the month, the Hullabaloo was using the term Green Wave to refer to all Tulane athletic teams. Although the official nickname was Green Wave, the term Greenbacks and Greenies for the color of their jerseys stayed in use throughout that same time period. I like those other nicknames, Greenbacks and Greenies. That's a pretty cool way of talking about the Green Wave. Now, Tulane has a really cute mascot. If you ever, 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 ever see Tulane in action, you'll see their great mascot out there wearing the T on the on the 
uniform of the pelican that's riding a surfboard. <laughs> Riptide, I believe, is the name of the mascot there at Tulane University. And then the colors are unusual, too. Olive and blue. That's the colors. That's also the name of, I think, the alma mater there at Tulane University. And then you got the hullabaloo. That is sort of the school cheer at Tulane University. And here are the words to the hullabaloo. And this is from the 1924 Tulane game program. A one, a two, a hell of a hullabaloo. Hullabaloo, ray, ray, hullabaloo, ray, ray, hooray, hooray, varsa, varsa, T-A, 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 varsa, varsa, T-A, T-A, Tulane. I know I probably totally butchered that, but that's part of the fun of Tulane University. Now, maybe not so familiar and or quite so popular to the average sports fan out there is some of the other fun stuff you find at Tulane. And that includes what other school in the world has this going on if you're a student at Tulane University. If you show up at Tulane, and it's in New Orleans, Tulane is, according to their own website at Tulane.edu, Tulane is probably the only school where you will eat red beans and rice every Monday in the dining hall and then chow down on gumbo and fried catfish on Fridays. I made the wrong mistake when I picked my college. I made a big mistake. Also, Tulane students love boiled crawfish. Spring is crawfish season. And Tulane students love attending crawfish boils. The best event centered around crawfish is Crawfest. And there at Crawfest on the Tulane campus in New Orleans, you have a two-stage, ten-band outdoor music festival for Tulane students and the entire local community. And that provides their 18,000 pounds of free crawfish for the taking. They are all gone in just a couple of hours. But how about that? Crawfish with the Crawfest on the Tulane campus in New Orleans. And I wonder how much crawfish you can get at a football game. Maybe there's a way to keep it on ice for a few months and it'd be rather tasty. But I bet you somebody at a Tulane tailgate's got some red beans and rice that they'll be able to share with you. How about your green wave? Congratulations on what you've been able to do. Remember, as we told you in hour number one, Tulane has as many SEC championships as seven current members of the Southeastern Conferences. This was a program that was in the SEC some 40, 50 years ago and beyond. The Green Wave, again, starting their 2021 season against the Oklahoma Sooners as OU comes into New Orleans for a game on that Labor Day weekend. Congratulations, Tulane. Best of luck in 2021. On the Thursday Y'all Show, we're going to be taking you to Hattiesburg, just up the road from New Orleans, for a look at the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. When the Y'all Show comes back, we've got more headlines from across the South. Stay tuned.
thank you, Miss Casey. And we are glad that you're following along here on the Y'all Show. Got a few minutes left in the program. That's all about the Southeast with General John Rawl, CSA, Certified Southern American. We're going to get back into some of the news headlines. And to the CSRA we go. And in Augusta, Georgia, this is not going to be something that you want to hear if you want to have a good night's sleep tonight. Augusta resident Trish Wilcher told a local Augusta TV station that she and her husband Max were about to go to bed Sunday. She saw what she thought was some kind of fuzz on the floor. She said it moved when she reached down, and then a second later, another piece moved, and I went to my husband and yelled, We have snakes. The couple found a mother snake with 17 recently hatched snake babies under her bed. Max used a grabber tool to place each one in a linen bag. It took about two or three hours for them to get them all out of there. They <laughs> they took these snakes to a nearby creek and released them. Admirable, true. But I don't think I would be quite so welcoming or nice Outside of finding a place to lay those snake eggs, there's another reason snakes may want to share spaces where humans are. An environmental director at the Finzi Center for Water Sciences said snakes sometimes move into homes to hunt rodents, you think? And according to Ms. Sherman, if you have a mouse problem, the snakes are going to come and try and help you with that mouse problem. Yeah, I can certainly vouch for that. I've had one snake enter my domicile in my life and at that same time period I was having a problem with little mices coming in and said snake mm, came in as well and I was moving out of my house within about a week's time <laughs> me and mice and certainly snakes don't get along but how about that 18 snakes at this Augusta Georgia home right there underneath the bed Woo! And another personal story, I lived on a barrier island outside of Charleston, South Carolina at one time, and I actually house sat while the couple went over to England for a couple of weeks, and they told me, they warned me, there's these giant king snakes they have that are down in the basement. And he said, you're not going to see them, don't worry about it, They, you'll never see them. And this is on an island where they have lots of other creatures besides king snakes, including lots of alligators and other poisonous snakes. But it was a cool house, and I didn't have to pay for it, so I was pretty pretty happy about that. Well, one day I'm on the way to go to my summer school class, and right there on the way out on the railing of the walkway was a one of these darn huge, I'm talking 8 to 10 feet t- long, king snakes. Scared the you-know-what out of me. So that was a bad enough story. Turns out that when my friend and his wife ended up moving away from that house a couple of years later, his wife absolutely lost it because when they were clearing things out of the house, they found several snake skins underneath their bed. So these gigantic king snakes had been coming up from the basement and actually hanging out underneath their bed, and they didn't even know it. <laughs> Woo! I'm going to have to move on to another story, if you don't mind. 
How about Tupelo? The Elvis Presley Lake there in the Tupelo area has been closed to public access as the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks say they began draining the lake for a lake renovation project. The leaders said the lake will be filled and restocked with bass, brim, crappie, and catfish. So if you want to go fishing in Tupelo soon, uh, find another alternative as Lake Elvis Presley shut down for a few weeks, maybe months. Backup plan, you can go to Lake Lamar Bruce, Lake Monroe. You can go to Trey State Park near Pontotoc or the Tom Bigby State Park also in that area of northeast Mississippi. But how about catching? How would you like to have a big old bass hanging up on your wall and everybody come up and say, hey, man, where did you catch that big old whopper of a fish? And you can proudly say, man, I had that fish caught at the Elvis Presley Lake in Tupelo, Mississippi. That would be some fish story, would it not? Yep. Now, here's a story that affects all y'all. On-time mail delivery by the U.S. Postal Service. We're seeing more and more delays, mostly because of the pandemic. And I would say there's other reasons going on. Perhaps laziness, in some cases. But members of Congress are looking into what's causing the Postal Service to be so darn late. And I have gone to upsoig.gov. That is the Office of the Inspector General of the U.S. Postal Service. And I have some data that I'm going to quickly share with you here coming from the Inspector General of the USPS. Now, they claim their national on-time service delivery percentage is 85.9% that it gets there on time. I have a listing now of the top delivery towns in America for mail and the bottom 10 places. And some of the top places in the country that get mail just like they're supposed to i don't see a single one in the south number one is santa Ana. number two is salt lake city san diego's three san francisco has got a 93.5 percent on-time delivery from the postal service and then we go to the bottom places in the country for mail delivery the almost worst towns include chicago Detroit, Philadelphia, and then the fifth from the bottom for delivery effectiveness is Richmond, Virginia. Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, has a 68.9% delivery and the number one town in America for having the worst USPS delivery rate, on-time delivery rate, is Baltimore, Maryland. Y'all, that's just sad. A Knoxville, Tennessee-born actor is going to receive the President's Volunteer Service Award. Congratulations to Silk Cozart. As Cozart's been in 30 films and over 20 TV shows, I'll tell you about some of the stuff he's been in. But he's going to win this award for being a part of organizations like the Hollywood Knights, which is a celebrity traveling basketball team that raises money for high schools. Silk Cozart, if you're not familiar with him, His repertoire, the 65-year-old actor now born in Knoxville, he actually played some college ball at King College in Bristol, Tennessee. But he's been in a bunch of different films and TV shows. His film work includes Firebirds. He was 
in the TV series Saved by the Bell. He was in the movie In the Line of Fire playing Agent Cozart. <laughs> His last name in that one. How about that? That's a great, great movie with Clint Eastwood in the lead role of that one. He's also been in other movies like Johnny Tsunami. He was on Cattle Call. More recently, he was in The Three. A guy all over the place with his acting films and TV shows. Congratulations to Silk. That's C-Y-L-K, by the way, his first name. Silk Cozart as he getting a big, big honor this week. All right, that wraps up our Y'all Show news headlines. We'll wrap up the Y'all Show in its entirety after this break, so you don't want to miss it as we're talking about the South each and every day. We are done with this middle-of-the-week edition of the show all about the South. We encourage you to go to our website. It's the South homepage, y'all.com. And again, anytime you want to share something with us, we welcome that via text and or telephone call, 803-816-1170. So incredibly easy for y'all to get in touch with us here on the South Show. If you tune in to us on the Thursday Y'all Show, you're going to get a lot of good sports information coming your way. Believe it or not, today the Big 12 Conference is kicking off its media days, and we've got some audio coming from Dallas-Fort Worth as TCU, West Virginia, and Oklahoma are at the mic. We'll have those coaches and some of the thoughts they have about their football teams. Plus, we'll be spotlighting the Southern Miss Golden Eagles on our Thursday Y'all Show. All that plus headlines, and so much more. And we'll have a pop singer from Dallas on as well, Shab. We'll discuss all that on the Thursday Y'all Show. We hope you'll join us. Have a great rest of your day.